0: remember the previous conversation regarding this political and also this economic relationship between the country of New Zealand and the US. Now, recently, the two countries' higher officials met up again. But for this time, it's not just about political and social engagement, but also the two countries seem to work on some major significant project. And that's right, the space sector. Now, at this moment, you're asking why the U.S. is willing to cooperate with the New Zealand or simply sending the invitation to the country of New Zealand regarding the space project? And how about the national security? And also, how about the joint effort regarding the cybersecurity at this moment? And how concerning is China to both countries? So that's why, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our good old friend, Mr. Jeffrey Miller. And Mr. Miller is an international analyst with the Democracy Project. Mr. Miller, and welcome back to The Missing Piece.
1: Thanks for, thanks for the welcome, Will. It's good to be with you again.
0: Absolutely, sir. It's always uh, a thorough enjoyment to have the conversation with you. Now, let's get to the question. As we mentioned before, recently you wrote another amazing piece regarding this relationship between uh, U.S. and New Zealand. And the article is entitled, "August door held ajar for New Zealand. Now, as we mentioned before, the higher officials recently between the U.S. and New Zealand met up regarding another significant project which is related to space sector and this is something that you wrote and i want to quote a tangible outcome of sherman's trip was a sign of a new framework agreement to underpin cooperation between new zealand and the united states in the space sector can you help us to understand what is the significance between this framework, a framework agreement in the space sector? And what kind of message did U.S. send to New Zealand regarding this project?
1: Yes, Wendy Sherman, the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, was in New Zealand uh, recently. And she's another in a series of quite high-level visitors to New Zealand from uh, from the United States, uh, both political visitors and and military visitors. Uh, We've had uh, high profile uh, figures from both visiting New Zealand in recent months since New Zealand uh, opened its borders and and became accessible to uh, foreign travelers again. Uh, And Wendy Sherman came and signed this agreement uh, it's more significant than it might appear. You might think, oh, what does New Zealand have to do with the space industry? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New Zealand is not about to uh, send astronauts on the, uh, to the moon or anything, and it, it's very true. New Zealand's not a traditional space power in, uh, by any sense, given its size and um, you know, its wealth, but it, 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 it's playing a Growing role through a private company called Rocket Lab, which is was started by a New Zealander called Peter Beck, but uh, it's it's got a lot of U.S. investment behind. I think it's actually uh, headquartered now in the U.S., but they mm-hmm. have a launch site in the in New Zealand in the east coast of the North Island, and they launch a lot of satellites uh, into space, um, and. And other missions, uh, you know, they they work uh, with NASA. For example, they work on a, worked on a mission to launch a uh, an, a moon mission recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they launched a Capstone satellite that will help NASA with their uh, preparations to, to go back to the moon. Mm-hmm. And Rocket Lab talks a lot about this kind of stuff, uh, the science based missions. But what they also do and what they talk less about are the uh, other the military missions that they're doing. So they're also launching military satellites for mm. the, the US government. And there's one estimate that I found that says about 30% of Rocket Lab's business is for the US military, mm. the US military agencies. So this is where you know New Zealand becomes increasingly significant. So the US is very keen um, to have New Zealand support there. It's very useful to have uh, New Zealand's involvement uh, there in launching you know, the, the military uh, satellites, given that the space is becoming you know a more even more contested uh, area when it comes to you know the geopolitical contest, you know as great power rivalry you know, heats up, China is becoming more interested in space. The US mm-hmm. itself, uh, countries like Russia, you know, are becoming more interested. So, uh, you know if we are heading into this sort of new Cold War period, and that's often what it feels like, uh, you would expect the space race to be heating up as well. And uh, you know, I think New Zealand is playing a role in that. And this is partly explains why uh, the US Deputy Secretary of State, why Wendy Sherman uh, came to New Zealand. It's not the full story. New Zealand is really important, right here on planet Earth as well, uh, given everything that's been going on in the Pacific um, and the competition uh, geostrategic competition with, with China there, um, but yeah, New Zealand's getting a lot of attention at the moment from uh, you know, from the United States, from China, from lots of lots of countries actually.
0: Mm. Mr. Miller, again, I want to bring the country of China into the conversation as you mentioned during the previous answer. And of course, on one hand, we understand. The relationship between U.S. and China, not only from this space competition, but also in this political and also this economic uh, aspect, the two countries are deadlocked today. But meanwhile, based on our previous conversation, the relationship between China and New Zealand, it's also at stake at this moment. And given the fact that, again, uh, the reality is New Zealand seems... uh, I mean, I, I guess I want to be careful. Has always been a good partner, at least on this economic side, with China. But meanwhile, that in reality, any country that partner up with the U.S. to be what I called fight against the China, or you know, to be very cautious about the Chinese government, has not been proven to be very effective. So my next question to you is. How concerning is China today under this new cooperation between US and New Zealand? And why do you think that US is so desperate or is so eager to watch how China progresses in this space project?
1: Well, I think New Zealand's relations with China come largely back to economics. You know, China is New Zealand's biggest trading partner by far. Thirty-three mm. uh, percent of New Zealand's exports go uh, exports go to China every year. So, you know, in terms of what New Zealand produces—primary products, meat, butter, milk—all uh, of these products, China is just a, is a big buyer of all of these, and particularly milk powder. Mm. And the United States is not. Um, you know, the New Zealand tried to get a free trade agreement with the US through the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm. But, and the US was actually going to sign up to that. But uh, Donald Trump at the last minute pulled the US out of that. So New Zealand actually exports relatively little to the United States by compar- in comparison with, with China. Uh, largely because of that so New Zealand is just very keen to keep on good terms with with China overall and you, despite we talked I think earlier in the year I think it we talk somewhere around the end of May if mm. I recall start of June I don't uh, don't recall exactly but at that point New Zealand just in Ardern, had just gone to uh, Washington for a a meeting at the White House with mm-hmm. Joe Biden, and they they put out a very hawkish joint statement together, the New Zealand and the United States, and China was very angry about all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, and New Zealand really drifted quite far to the west. I thought in the first half of the year, by you know by New Zealand standards, um, New Zealand adopted quite a pro-western foreign policy, and mm-hmm. a lot of that was triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and then it continued. Uh, throughout those months of, of March, April, May, in particular, uh, when China was uh, also making a play for greater cooperation with uh, Pacific countries, uh, New Zealand sort of stood firm with Australia, with the US on, on, on mm. all of this. Um, Since then, I think you've seen some recalibration, and um, Jacinda Ardern gave quite a generous speech towards China uh, last month, or in fact at the start of this month, the Mm -hmm. 1st of August, Um, and she also gave a couple of speeches while she was on a foreign trip uh, in Sydney and in London, where she recalibrated and and brought New Zealand back to a more sort of middle ground, um, if you like. Where she you know, said, look, China's really important to us. And she said that, you know, she wants to head to China when, when, you know, COVID allows. Mm. Um, and she made a lot of soothing noises towards China. And the Chinese ambassador yesterday gave a speak, uh, an interview to New Zealand television where he said much the same kind of things he was also quite, quite generous and you know wanted to invite you know just an so no idea to visit china but hopefully by the end of the year is what he said so you know there are um yeah i think we've seen a slight recalibration um but i think new zealand still you know ends up you know where we stand you know in mid-august or mm. close to the end of august i think New Zealand is. still a bit more pro-Western than it was at the start of the year. And I think that's the big takeaway this year. New Zealand has shifted its foreign policy a bit more to the West. Um, And that's, yeah, that's really the big trend that I've seen this year. Mm.
0: Mr. Miller, I want to go back to the article. And again, I want to read something that you wrote. And I think, and I believe it's rather significant. And let's talk about that with your... um, article actually uh, included the uh, the, uh, new organization. It's called AUKUS. Now this is what you wrote. It said, when asked at the time whether New Zealand has been asked to join. Now the leader reinstated that New Zealand's nuclear free policy and said, we weren't approached and nor would I expect us to be. So help us to understand that what is the message behind this answer. So in other words that New Zealand was not approached in terms of to be part of the AUKUS or in terms of understanding New, New Zealand's nuclear free policy and also it says w- uh, and nor would I expect us to be how should we interpret such answer? So in other words does New Zealand want to always be an outsider? as a, I mean, for Quad and also for AUKUS? Or is there anything that the leader today is hinting that to say, hey, listen, since Australia is actively participating in some of them, or US is inviting us or possibly could invite us to be part of them, and so we may be considering, or it's better for us to be a bench player on the side, not to destroy or not to ruin this relationship between New Zealand and China. What is your take on it?
1: Yes, New Zealand's positioning with AUKUS is quite ambiguous. So AUKUS was unveiled almost a year ago in mid-September 2021. And it's an agreement between, as the name suggests, between Australia, the United States and the United Kingdom. And the launch project for AUKUS was providing Australia with nuclear-powered submarines. Mm. And for New Zealand, that's really kind of... You know, I mean it's it's number one, the idea of New Zealand having submarines is is, you know, fanciful, really. Mm. And the idea of New Zealand having any involvement with nuclear powered submarines is, is fanciful as well because New Zealand has had a nuclear free policy for almost 40 years. Mm -hmm. So the idea of New Zealand, you know, being involved in an alliance that's about nuclear powered submarines just doesn't seem credible. And that's why Jacinda Ardern said, you know, we weren't approached, nor will we expect to be. So New Zealand was not informed about this or involved in the discussions. I think they got, she got a phone call the night before just to say it would be being announced. But New Zealand was kept out of that. Um, But what has been interesting since, AUKUS was launched is that it seems to have been developed into something a bit more than just nuclear submarines and the key phrase that seems to be used now is technology sharing mm. and it's being seen as a framework to work on you know various new technologies hypersonic missiles cybersecurity artificial intelligence quantum computing and this kind of thing. Um, it, it's all a bit vague, and of course, you know, these things usually are vague somewhat by design. But New Zealand has expressed a willingness, or at least figures from New Zealand have expressed a willingness to be involved in. Um, the non-nuclear components Mm -hmm. of AUGUS. So the cyber security side of things, um, the New Zealand High Commissioner to Australia, Annette King, and she signalled this uh, towards the end of last year. So did the defence minister in New Zealand, Penny Hanare. And uh, I think this is, yeah, it's not by accident. And I think New Zealand is considering this. uh, And perhaps not immediately. I don't think you're going to see New Zealand probably joining AUKUS, you know, this year. But I think clearly this seems to be the game plan from Mm. the US side is to try and get New Zealand involved in some form and to say, look, you know, you're not involved in the nuclear side. We understand you've got the nuclear-free policy, Mm. but we want you to be involved in, let's call it AUKUS+, Mm. where it's the cyber security, the technology side of things. Uh, and the question really about all of this is whether that is in New Zealand's interest because New Zealand does talk about having an independent foreign policy mm-hmm. and that's something that's been used talked about a lot in the last few months. China uh, keeps reminding New Zealand of its independent foreign policy mm-hmm. and, and Jacinda do New Zealand has also talked a lot about independent foreign policy in the last few months. So independent foreign policy effectively is a key phrase in New Zealand Politics that goes back to the 1980s when this nuclear free policy was developed, and essentially, I think nuclear free policy just suggests that New Zealand makes its own way in the world and doesn't get aligned with uh, the great powers. Um, so effectively, New Zealand wants to be a friend with everybody and just sell lots of milk powder and um, and and keep it at that really, and not get involved in, in military uh, alliances and groupings. So that's why New Zealand's not part of AUKUS or the Quad or any of these groupings. New Zealand was part of ANZUS, um, but the United States suspended its obligations to New Zealand back in 1986 over the nuclear-free policy. So it would be a big shift um, for New Zealand to join AUKUS, but they said we're seeing a lot of big shifts at the moment. New Zealand's increasing its military spending um, at the moment, and this is a big shift for New Zealand. After you know, for decades that spending had been trending downwards, uh, went down to as low as about one point one percent. We're now up to one point five. So mm. I wouldn't rule anything out, and certainly um, the way I see things is that the door is being held ajar. I think that was the title mm-hmm. I used the article in um wendy sherman uh you know the uh, u.s deputy secretary of state that really seems to be seeing things in those terms as well that new zealand could join for you know, non-nuclear purposes so it's an interesting strategy by the us uh, they're not trying to change new zealand's nuclear free policy which is actually what they were trying to do if you mm. go back sort of 15 years ago um, the US focus was much more on, you know, you should change your nuclear-free policy. You know, that's an old 1980s idea. Mm. Um, you should give up on that because, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit outdated. But they're, they're not trying that now. They fully accept the nuclear-free policy as a cornerstone of New Zealand's politics and um, is not going to change. and Instead, they're trying to, I think, get New Zealand in through the back door to, to focus on other things. But the issue for, for New Zealand, I see, with all of this is that you know, AUKUS involves nuclear proliferation. Mm. It involves the export of highly enriched uranium to Australia. Um, Australia is not a nuclear power. Um, the United Kingdom and United States both are nuclear powers. They both have nuclear weapons. But Australia does not. Um, but Australia would be getting nuclear, highly enriched uranium in these submarines that would not be subject to IAEA monitoring, mm. um, and that's because there's a loophole in the non proliferation treaty, um, and, and it sets a bad precedent for New Zealand to for yeah New Zealand to be giving a green light to this. I think uh, it sets a bad precedent for Australia. I, I think I think you know it's it's not it's not a good move to be. Uh, to be yeah, accepting of this proliferation, because in theory, highly enriched uranium, even if it's in a you know, nuclear reactor in a submarine, in theory, it could be used for nefarious purposes. It could be repurposed into a nuclear weapons program. I think that's really unlikely that it would happen with Australia, mm-hmm. but it's a bad precedent to set for other countries who might be considering this loophole. You know, mm-hmm. If they want new, highly enriched uranium, they get a friendly country. Uh, to send it to them in a submarine, and then they can take it out and use it for whatever they want. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a pretty bad precedent.
0: Mr. Miller, I know you're very busy, and I got two more questions before letting you go. Let's talk about the presence of China. Now, again, based on another recent article, that when we talk about this cybersecurity and also this digital (laughs) influence, from China, and then we again, you know, this year that the relationship between China with some of the islands and seem to grow much closer, and which is very concerning for some of the countries, for example, the U.S. and Australia, and even one article came out and to say uh, for China under this Belt and Road initiative that China it's uh, moving quickly or in on this in this unstoppable speed regarding this what we call digital silk road and which is a very very concerning especially for australia for new zealand and the u.s again just cross the indo-pacific now dr miller i want to get your reaction in this so in other words how do you think or how should we evaluate this relationship between China with some of the islands, like for example, Carabas and uh, Solomon Island and et cetera? And also what about this digital Silk Road from the Chinese government? What is the angle for the project in your opinion?
1: Well, things are really heating up, aren't they, Will, uh, around the Pacific, and that's why there's so much focus on New Zealand. It's it's clear that China does want to develop its relations with with Pacific countries. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's a great surprise. It's also not particularly new. I think uh, China has been involved in the Pacific for, for decades. They are becoming more interested now, there's no doubt about that. And this year in particular, we've seen... This uh, military deal with Solomon Islands, and then uh, one year the Chinese Foreign Minister attempted to um, sign a, a bigger multilateral agreement with a number mm-hmm. of Pacific countries. So, um, so everything is heating up. I, I would see digital is, is is part of that. I mean, the digital economy now is is big business. So it's not all about bricks and bricks and mortar. Um, so, you know digital is is going to be part of of the China strategy, just as in the same way it's part of the Western strategy, what we talked about. So, um, yeah, I I think we've got to be very careful um, here because I I feel like these tensions just grow, you know, by the month this year. I think it's been good to see a slight recalibration from at least from the New Zealand side on on all of this. You know, we've got to be careful about talking ourselves into a war in the Indo-Pacific. We've seen everything heating up over Taiwan Mm. uh, after Nancy Pelosi's visit. Um, You know, I just think we need to be very careful here about what we're getting and letting ourselves in for. And New Zealand, I think, really can still play that voice for... For, for peace, um, mm. for for dialogue. That's the word that Jacinda Ardern has kept using, dialogue. Um, what I would like to see from New Zealand um, is New Zealand to actually start leading that dialogue position. Mm. Jacinda Ardern, you know, uses his word dialogue and diplomacy, but it's almost as if she says this as, as rhetoric rather than something that New Zealand is responsible for. Uh, for enacting, I would like New Zealand to uh, to take the lead a bit more on these things and to use its voice. Mm. I and mean, when you look at something like AUKUS, I think this is where New Zealand falls short mm. because we have a disarmament minister whose, whose role is to speak up for the nuclear-free policy. And he was at the non-proliferation treaty review conference in New York uh, this month, uh, still going on, I believe, at the UN and he talked about nuclear proliferation. He talked about Iran and he talked about Russia, but he didn't mention August. And I think we we do ourselves a disservice. I think New Zealand owes itself, and I think it, it does a service actually to to the world, um, and also to its its friends. I think it does need to speak out from time to time. And the the highly enriched uranium issue is is a real issue, um, and. You know it's, it's not good it's, it's nuclear proliferation um by other means and i think we should be calling that out and and asking for you know a rethink you know there are other options france powers its submarines with uh low enriched uh, uranium so it doesn't use the highly enriched uranium that you could use in nuclear weapons now there are disadvantages to that uh it's not as good you know you don't get the range when you don't use highly enriched uranium you have to refuel more often but you you wouldn't be setting that dangerous precedent uh, in terms of uh, proliferation of highly enriched uranium but Australia could still have um, could still have nuclear-powered submarines under that model. So I think it's these kinds of things New Zealand could be speaking out a bit more uh, about rather than sort of saying you know none of this has got anything to do with us because that seems to be the uh, just an Ardun's more natural position. Um, at the moment, is to say, look, we need dialogue on, you know, the war in Ukraine. We need dialogue on, mm. on Taiwan and so forth. But it's it's not really our job to do it, and that really seems to be what I take away from Jacinda Ardern's um, messaging at the moment. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot in flux. This year, Uh, there's just so much happened in in Mm. the last six months, really, since Russia invaded Ukraine, it kicked off, we've set in in motion a whole series of events, it seems like. So, uh, you know, I I don't know what could happen in the next six months, but I'm sure we'll be surprised by some of the things that happened um, in the second half of this year and into next year.
0: That's right. Mr. Miller, I want to wrap up our conversation again, going back to this technological battle between U.S. and China at this moment. Again, based on the recent article, that says that China's involvement in this digital platform actually is causing quite waves for the U.S. and also across the continent. For mainly Chinese tech companies, in the summary, internet cables and 4G and 5G no mobile networks, you know, actually is making influence not only in some of the countries in Europe, but also mainly some of the countries in Southeast Asia. So, Mr. Miller, I want to wrap up our conversation. Want to ask you the question is: Should we see the Chinese tech companies' involvement as a positive sign, or actually, what you said before, we should be very cautious? But if so how concerned should we be in terms of this 4g or 5g or mobile development you know the cyber security coming from the chinese government side
1: yeah well china's becoming a more developed economy isn't it so it's going to become more involved in in a high technology um yeah, high, high technology industries. So, you know, things like 4G, 5G, I think you're going to expect more of that from China just because it's becoming a more developed e- economy. Um, and not all of that needs to be scary. And again, I, I just think we need to be careful about talking ourselves into a war. Um, just because China is involved in, in, you know, 4G and 5G industry, that doesn't mean that it's all being used just to spy on the West. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes the implications that is are being made. That you know, Huawei's technology is all about you know spyware. Um, I think that's a really uh, ridiculous claim. Um, but you know, a lot of Western countries are very suspicious about Huawei and, for example, um, and five G networks that they're building because they see this as a potential backdoor mm. uh, for Chinese spying. I, I think you've got to look at everything on a case by case basis, um, really, and you know. It, just avoid making you know knee-jerk decisions just based on the fact that it's Chinese technology, for example. Um, you know, things are heating up. China clearly has you know an interest in cyber um, cyber attacks mm-hmm. and cybersecurity. So does the West. You know, so I think we're all playing increasingly in this you know in these high-tech industries and they can be used for for good and they can be used for bad mm-hmm. so we need to you know keep an eye on on all of this and look at everything on a case-by-case basis but i think we have to be very you know careful of hypocrisy mm-hmm. just coming back to orcas you know mm-hmm. um, you know it's all very well to talk about the risks of you know, nuclear weapons and and nuclear disaster um from, from countries we disagree with but if we're looking if we ignore the problems caused by ourselves or by our friends um and you know August does provide you know real problems in that respect you know I think we're yeah I think we're doing ourselves a disservice I think we need to just look at everything on its merits and and yeah call out problems where we see them
0: Indeed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to Mr. Jeffrey Miller, and Mr. Miller is an international analyst with the Democracy Project. Mr. Miller, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show again. Again, every time when we talk to you, we we'll thoroughly enjoy the conversation. Not only that you always bring insightful information to us, but also help us to understand some of the critical issues across the continent, especially regarding New Zealand. Mr. Miller, thank you so much for doing this.